Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. But also what you should know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but do it in bite-sized segments of time. And today I'm really excited about this episode because it's such a common injury, but we're going to be covering hamstring strains. And it's something that happens all the time. But if you look in our research on re-injury rates and just the overall occurrence of it, it makes you question on how good we are at treating this. So in this episode, we're going to be covering more so the common injury mechanisms and the people who get this injury, and then also some differentials that you would go along with it. And then once we go through differentials, okay, we're pretty confident it's a hamstring strain. Now, what are some things that we are testing to see the prognosis of this individual or young athlete on when they can get back to what they want to do? Part two will come out when we start talking about, okay, how do we actually treat this person and what in our research best supports the best practice to make sure that they get back to what they want to do and it doesn't happen again. So stay tuned for that, but I'm still trying to keep these episodes short. So let's begin with hamstring strains. There's several types of hamstring strains, but typically the people you'll see with this are track athletes, football, rugby, Um, dancers are especially susceptible for this. And so with this, essentially just think athletes who are doing a lot of sprinting, kicking, high-speed skilled movements, or being in an extreme stretch. Um, This often happens more so in preseason than it does in regular or postseason, and usually the injuries are non-contact. So some people are more prone to them than others, then there's things that you can control and can't, right? So the non-modifiable risk factors for a hamstring strain are older age and prior history of hamstring strain. So obviously we as physical therapists can't really affect this, right? But there are things that we do want to address. So modifiable risk factors are hamstring weakness and fatigue, imbalance in hamstring eccentrics and quad concentric strength, Um, Others that have been cited in research are quadriceps flexibility, reduced hip flexor flexibility, and strength and coordination deficits of the pelvic and trunk musculature. So basically, some weakness, tightness, and inability to move well. And like I said before, there's different portions of the hamstrings that are more susceptible to injury than others based on what you're doing. So the types of injuries that happen with high-speed running... That usually happens like in the terminal swing phase of the gait cycle. Um, You actually see in the biceps femoris a greater occurrence of injury in like the mid portion of the muscle, essentially. Now, take, for example, other movements where you're moving in positions of extreme stretch to the hamstrings. And this can happen with slow or fast movements with simultaneous hip flexion and knee extension. And this happens more so in the proximal free tendon and definitely takes a longer recovery time too. So this person is injured, but are we sure it's a hamstring strain? So let's go through differentials next. First, when someone's walking in and they're pretty injured, swollen, all that kind of stuff, you still want to make sure that nothing worse is going on. So for one, you want to evaluate and see if they have a hamstring tendon avulsion. 
So this patient during their injury may have had an audible pop, extreme pain, loss of function, which is hard to differentiate, right? But they'll have extreme difficulty with a prone leg curl, and they might not even be able to fully extend their leg or weight bear on the side that they injured. You're going to see a large gait abnormality, which makes sense if they can't weight bear on their involved side, right? Significant bruising on the posterior thigh, and they might even have what's called a positive bowstring sign. And that's essentially if the patient is actively holding their knee in a flexed position, you're not going to find any palpable tension in the distal hamstring tendons because it's a vulse. There's no tension left there. So this patient would do great with having an MRI to make sure everything is okay. Another thing to look out for is ischial avulsions. So you'll see this more so in your younger athletes, like between 13 and 16 years old, because they have an open growth plate. So this happens from overstretch from combined hip flexion and knee extension. So someone who's doing a lot of kicking and dancing, they may also have an audible pop, possibly. Um, deep achy pain, especially with sitting, but let's say their pain gets under control. They're not really going to have a loss of flexibility um, because there's no anchor point. So something to keep in mind on is evaluating the demographics of the patient that's sitting in front of you. Another big one is proximal hamstring tendinopathies. So now let's go to the other side of the age spectrum. You're going to see this more in middle-aged athletes and endurance athletes. The mechanisms are different. So instead of like the audible pop that we were talking about, you'll see this more if that patient's complaining of their pain starting insidiously with gradual onset. They just started getting worse and worse with time. Don't really know why. Um, and it is often worse as they're sitting on firm surfaces or prolonged surfaces. Maybe it's like a cyclist or someone like that. They'll be tender to palpation at their ischial tuberosity and they might have a positive Peranin Oriva test or a bent knee stretch test. Common adjunct injury too could be a hip adductor strain injury, so a deductor. And you'll see this a lot with, with someone who's doing a lot of quick acceleration or change of direction, especially if they're in extreme hip abduction, abduction, and external rotation. And so this is very common as a combined injury when you're you're seeing someone in sagittal split motions like in tennis or even in dance with a lot of high kicking. So when you're evaluating this, you're just screening it out by like seeing if they have pain with palpation at the adductor tendons where they insert on the pubic ramus. And then also, does it hurt if we use the muscle? Well, if it hurts when we use the muscle, it might be a little, a little upset. Um, and then of course, things that can refer pain to that spot that are not in that region are things like um, neural tension. Do they have a disc herniation or lumbar facet syndrome? Because we know facets can also refer pain down into the upper thigh. Um, do they have a nerve root compression or sacroiliac joint dysfunction or any spondylogenic lesions? So always screen the joints above and below so that you don't miss something that could be a really quick fix or at least quicker if you address it in the first place. Okay, so let's say we go through all this. Great, we're not thinking it's a tendinopathy or avulsion. Now we are moving on to prognosis because that patient's also probably going to want to know 
when they can go back to sports. So there's different grades of hamstring strain and they just reflect the extent of tissue damage. So grade one, grade two, grade three, grade one is mild to moderate and three is severe. And there's actually been some MRI studies that they'll use to see the extent of injury. Um, what they'll do is they'll use the MRI to see the length and cross-sectional area of the injury. Or the bigger the area that's showing injury and inflammation, it directly correlates to the time that they're going to need for recovery. So more area equals longer time for recovery. Now, some other things that have been cited in research for factors that take longer than 40 days to get to sport are if their pain scale, so like on the NPRS, if it's greater than a six, not really so great for a short recovery. Other things are, do they have pain with just their everyday activities for more than three days after they initially injured themselves? Or did they have a popping sound during injury? Because that popping can also come from the hamstring. It's not necessarily um, with the avulsions I mentioned. How much bruising do they have or do they have it at all? And do they have a greater than 15 degree difference in passive straightening of the injured leg compared to their non-injured so scar tissue formation doesn't really happen until the proliferation phase of tissue healing. And if you need a little refresher on just tissue healing in general, then not so subtle plug to refer you back to tissue healing stages in episode three. Go check that out. But this patient, if you're initially evaluating them, they're just fresh out from their injury it's not like they've got suddenly formed scar tissues, probably more so from pain and protection during the inflammatory stage. And so if they have a huge difference, that means that's a huge amount of protection that they're trying to recover from. So there's also another test called the time to walk test. It's just the ability for the athlete to walk without pain post-injury. So they did this test with Australian rules football players and in this test, they found that if it takes this athlete more than one day to pass this test, they're four times more likely than someone who is able to do it to take longer than three weeks to get back to sport. So again, on these tests, be sure and look them up if you feel like that's something you can utilize in your practice. And then another thing, testing the hamstrings in a lengthened position. So in theory... If you put your patient on their stomach and you bend their knee to 90 degrees, this is when the length tension, the length tension relationship of the hamstring muscles is at their prime. So they should be the strongest for those cross-linked fibers to do their part. And so what they found that if someone, if you can put them in the position that best sets them up for success and they don't have any reductions in strength compared to their other side, they're going to do a lot better than someone who does have a reduction because this is already like we've already set them up for success and they're already showing pretty significant deficits. Additionally, you also want to test those patients at like 45 degrees knee flexion and 15 degrees knee flexion because what you're doing is you are reducing the amount of potential cross fibers and in that lengthening position Yes, we can expect them to have a little bit more reductions, but you're looking at the amount of deficits side to side. So more deficits equals longer time to return to sport. And then additionally, 
where's the location of the hamstring strain? So we mentioned two types before in the muscle fiber and then near the insertional site at the tendon, right? So typically the closer that you are to the ischial tuberosity, the more time it's going to take to return to sport, unfortunately. So these are things to keep in mind when you are evaluating your patient. Okay. So hopefully by now you would be able to teach someone who is most likely to get hamstring strain injuries, what some common differentials are, and then things that we look at to see people who are probably going to take a little bit longer to get back to sport. Part two, we're going to cover what exactly we treat, um, how we treat it, and some examples of phases that people have used in research to be able to progress someone from day one all the way up until return to sport. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. I know it's really quick and that's kind of the point. So if you enjoyed this, do me a favor and tell someone you think who would actually benefit from them about this show. Um, It's meant to be concise and helpful. Um, That's the heart behind it. So if you are enjoying it and you haven't already hit follow so you don't miss any. And if you would do me a grand old favor and write a review, that helps me out as well. Um, new exciting things in the mix. Um, I'm going to be starting an email newsletter soon. Um, I'm still, I'm horrible with technology. And so I'm just taking a little moment. But if you would like to go ahead and sign up for that, that there's a link on my website that's live where you can go ahead. And what I'll be sending out is just... Um, some studies tips, maybe more information about like, hey, what's the special test that I mentioned in an episode so that it is something that, again, doesn't clog your email box, but is actually helpful to you. And then if you would like to support the show, there's a link for buy me a coffee below. Um, that just helps me to cover my overhead so that I can keep doing this. I enjoy it, but also, um, you know, there's some things that I have to pay for to make this happen. So That would be grand even if it's like a dollar a month. So if you need anything, please reach out. You can reach out at ptsnackspodcasts at gmail.com. Or if you have an Instagram, find me at ptsnackspodcasts. I like to post up study stuff on there all the time. But again, if you're not into the social media, I totally get it. Just sign up for that newsletter that's coming soon. So next Tuesday, stay tuned for how to treat hamstring strains. And until next time.